Hello and welcome to Casting Nets Podcast. I am your host for today, Pastor Will Harley, and this is Beyond the Sermon Live. Um, If you've noticed, I am the only one here in the studio as we've been gathering online. Um, My brothers in the ministry have had other things that have come up, and so they ended up having to to handle those things, and so our prayers are with them as they're in their individual projects and they're dealing with the ministries that have been given to them, either in vocation as family or uh, in the vocations as as pastor. And so as we we gather, we do want to take a look at our our past Sunday. It was the fifth Sunday of Pentecost, and um, since it's only me, you get to hear what I kind of preached about and some of the thoughts that ran through my head. And we are going to be turning our attention to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 11. But before we do that, I do want to say that um, the chat is open. So if you're following us on the Facebook page, um, I am able to get those chats through. So you can definitely has uh, ask questions as we go along. I'll try to, to hopefully do that. And good morning to you as well, Rachel, as we have an opportunity to, to kind of break apart this text and, and walk our way through that. So please ask questions. Um, I will try to answer them. Um, if you have heard of the podcast before, have listened to the podcast before, I'm easily distracted. And so um, if you do ask questions, I probably will spend time uh, on those and, and get off track. Um, so we will attempt to have a, a decent show here today. Um, thank you for joining us again. Let's jump on into the text and then we can sort of have a recap and our discussion. So taking a look at where we were uh, in the celebration of the fifth Sunday of Epiphany, uh, we take a look at 1 Peter. This was the second lesson. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Beautiful, beautiful text, um, new to our lectionary series. Um, so I have preached on this text before I had the opportunity to preach on it this weekend. I did preach on it for a funeral, um, but I never really had the opportunity to to preach for it during the season of Epiphany. Uh, it's kind of new to, to our lectionary series um, as they redid the lectionary series and tweaked it a little bit. But here we go, starting at verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's powerful hand so that he may lift you up at the appointed time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Have sound judgment, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him by being firm in the faith. You know that the same kinds of sufferings are being laid on your brotherhood all over the world. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And so uh, that was the the text that I preached on. As I had an opportunity to to open up my sermon theme uh, was uh, the devil's work is undone but not by you. Um, and I, I kind of opened up my, my entire sermon with just this idea of humility. Um, as, as Peter is, is kind of bringing all of his thoughts together and he is uh, closing out his first letter to the Romans. Um, so this is the first and second Peter, are letters to the Romans. And as he's, he's bringing this all together, he's, he's really going to highlight humility. 
And humility is something we don't like. We, we, I kind of asked the congregation if, if they feel that they have been humbled or that they are humble. And, and if they raise their hand, well, then you're not humble. That's usually the, the kind of the old joke. The idea of thinking of ourselves um, less than what we are, and and sometimes we we have this in a degrading type of way, where where we think it's humility to to lower ourselves, demean ourselves, and in, into thinking that uh, we're not good enough, we can't do do well, and we we call that like a false humility. But really, the idea of humility is is recognizing in reality that we aren't as good as we think we are, and that we're not as powerful as we think we are, and that. Uh, we can't do everything that we think we can do. And, and we are humbled by the power of our Lord. And, and really, that's the beautiful idea of the verb. There in, in, in our text, I know, and all translations do that, and kind of drives me a little bit insane, but, but all translations, they, they make it sound as if it's something we do. It says, so even in the EHV, which I, I really love the translation, it says, therefore, humble yourselves under God's powerful hand. And, and really, it's a passive flavor. Be humbled. You be humbled by God's hand, under God's hand. Recognize you are not God. Recognize you don't carry his power and recognize he can do things you can't do. And that's okay. And, and it doesn't mean that you're less, doesn't mean that you are, are a horrible person or that you are so, so weak that no one could ever rely on you for anything. It just means that there are things that you are not able to do, things that you can't do, things that that you're not meant to do. And one of those things that you're not meant to do, but we try to do, is, is we try to say we have the power to fix ourselves, the power to, to do things in our life. And, and this was, as I'm leading into the text, we, we think that we have the power to change ourselves. And so we have all these self-help books. But even with the rise of self-help books and the rise of, of going to bookstores, which people don't know what bookstores are, but if you do know what a bookstore is, it's, it's not the Amazon Kindle. It's, it's actually going to a place, and they, it's not just a coffee store, but a place where they sell books, and there's shelves upon shelves upon shelves of self-help. And you can grab a self-help, and you can open it up. We think that we could change who we are. And yet in, in 2023, 19%, and it's like 19.1%, um, the studies say are, of people in the United States suffer from clinical depression and, and, and actually like a clinical anxiety that they're taking medicines from. Then you have uh, another very large portion, 32%, just over 32% of the people in the United States have anxious symptoms or depression symptoms. And if you add those two numbers together, you're over half of our, our civilization, half of our, our communities and our population are suffering from anxiety and depression symptoms or full-blown depression and anxiety. And you would think, if we have the power to do these things, just change yourself. Um, and we keep telling ourselves, just, just pull yourself up, change your, change your behaviors, change your, your, your habits, change the things that you're doing as if you have the ability to do those things. And as we push this idea forward further and further and further, it's the devil who ends up laughing all the way to the bank. It's the devil who ends up thinking this is the greatest thing that could ever happen because his whole entire purpose and his whole entire job is to drag us to hell with him. Misery loves company and he is very miserable because Jesus came to save us, not him. 
Jesus came to be with us and to walk with us and to conquer for us and not for him. Jesus is the savior of us, not the savior of Satan. And it's a beautiful kind of connection how how this is really forefront in Peter's mind. Because Peter, as he as he kind of, well, he's been given credit for being the kind of the narrator behind the gospel of Mark. And, and many people have said, you know, Mark wrote it, but it's really the gospel of Peter. They were, they were very close, those two. And Mark has this tendency throughout his entire book is, is to, to see how the Lord has authority over, over Satan, authority over demons. In the gospel lesson uh, from last week, uh, so that would be two weeks ago now, um, we had the Lord Jesus who cast out the demon from the synagogue, right? From the man who was being demon-possessed, and he, he cast him out and then spent the night casting out other demons, keeping them from speaking. And then we have here in our lesson that was from last week, the gospel lesson from Mark, um, also continued that, that he went around from town to town, and then what was Jesus doing? He was he was casting out demons. He was healing people. And so this idea of, of the authority that God has over, the authority of Christ that he has over the demons, over the, these rulers of the world that, that try to take over our lives and haunt us and, and lead us astray, he brings into this idea with the Romans. And he, he again brings in this beautiful picture. You have a life that, that has anxiety. You have a life that is filled with anxiousness and and, and you're living a life where, where people are trying to say, just be more powerful, be more optimistic, do more things, try to be, be able to, you know, fight your way back. And he says, humble yourself, be humbled under the powerful hand of God who fights for you. Be humbled under the powerful hand of God who carries your anxieties and be alert. Because all of these things, all of the things that you're suffering in life, all of the things that are cropping up, all of the wars that you see, and all of the, the troubles that are out there, these are, these are the bag of tricks of Satan himself. He's, he's a lion, a roaring lion, and he's, he's looking to pull you away, and he will pull you away with multiple temptations. He will pull you away with your anxieties. He will pull you away with your self-righteous behavior. He's going to pull you away in the thoughts of thinking, I can do this on my own, and then when you fail, he will accuse. Because that's what the devil's name is the accuser. It says it stands as an adversary, but really he stands as one accusing you. It's it's a courtroom type scene that 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 Peter is laying out for us that that he sits there and he he will one praise you for thinking that you can do it on your own and when you fail he will point at you and say, "Ha ha, no one's going to love you. No one's going to want you. No one's going to want to 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 be a part of your life anymore because you're such a failure. Look how horrible you are as a person." And so the Lord says, have sound judgment, be alert, be on guard, right? The accuser is accusing, and, and he's going to prowl around, he's going to find any way to do it. And so resist him, stand firm in faith. Well, how do you stand firm in faith? You stand firm in faith simply by gathering around the very words that create faith, by the working of the Spirit. Gather around the very meal that our Lord gives us that strengthens us in our faith as he gives his body and his blood and his bread and through bread and wine. And these are all part of the promise, right? Verse 10 gives us that after you have suffered a little while, the, 
the God of all grace, the God of love, right? The, the one who's also powerful, the one who also can do battle where you cannot against an adversary that you cannot fight against because you are not powerful enough. That God called you in grace. He called you to an eternal glory in Christ. Through the workings of Christ, he has called you to be restored, to be established, to stand strengthened and supported. He calls you to the battlefield to take up the armor, not to be the person first to charge into the brink. That is the job of Christ. Not to be the person who who swings the sword and, and is cleaving off the, the, the other demons that stand against you, but to stand dressed in white as the white-robed army behind a Lord who takes to the battlefield for you in, in your place, to be standing with the Lord who, who goes and, and does these battles for you because it is not you who undoes the work of the devil. It is the Lord who undoes the work of the devil. And so take comfort in that. And be prepared to step out onto the field, not to do battle, but to follow your Lord, to be strengthened by him and established by him, restored by him, and to see his glory and his power as he fights for you. And so that was my sermon um, that that I kind of preached, um, an opportunity to preach on the work of the devil in our life and how he, he still keeps reusing those bag of tricks for us um, and, and how it leads us astray. And he laughs all the way to the bank as we were led astray on both sides, self-righteousness and, and also um, in our own depravity as we recognize our sin. Um, and yet it is our Lord who, who saves us and rescues us um, as he has gone to battle for us in the cross of Christ in his resurrection and, and then in his preservation. Um, looking a little bit at the comments here, so before I go into maybe a little bit more of, of what I didn't preach about, what I what I thought was good, bad, or, or things. Um, so Rachel, you had a comment. Thank you very much. It says, I've read conflicting things on whether or not the devil is omnipresent and omniscient, and he's uh, a created being, so it would seem he wouldn't be because those who are characteristic, those are characteristics of God, and yet it seems that he assumes he can get into your head. Those are really good questions. So um, let me first just say this. Yes, so he is a created being. So Satan is a created being. He is an angel. He has power. Uh, the scripture tells us that he is an angel of light, or at least masks raid uh, as an angel of light. Um, when you get into um, the Old Testament, you have a little bit more. Um, Ezekiel it describes him as, as one of splendor, one of the highest of the high. Um, so probably an archangel of some sort. If you want to talk about angelology, that's a, a much deeper conversation. Um, but he is not God. So like all angels, they are tasked with things. They're sent out to do things. They can only do things by the permission of the Lord. And they are not omniscient, and they're, they're not omnipresent, and they're not um, omnipotent. They don't have all power. Now, are they powerful? Yes, um, are they rulers and authorities? Yes. Are things given to them that they are capable of doing? Yes. So does that make Satan dangerous? Yes. Does it make the fallen angels dangerous? Yes. Are they more powerful than you? Yeah, and me. But are they more powerful than, than God? No. Are they more powerful than his, than his son? Absolutely not. So a, a good way of approaching this is 
and, and I think you could go to Job in the very first chapters of Job and, and you get this idea. Um, and so this, there's very scriptural grounding on it and very scriptural grounding when you go into the New Testament as well and you, you kind of see some of what happens with demon possessions and the interactions that Jesus has with, with demons as he's casting them out and the conversations that go along with that. Um, or the very conversation that Jesus has with Satan himself um, after he is baptized. Satan doesn't know what's going on all over everywhere. Um, so in the book of Job, it is, it is the Lord God who says, have you seen, have you considered my, my disciple? Have you considered um, my follower Job? He is such a righteous man. Um, and, and Satan had not considered him, had not seen him, um, but now is in his purview. And, and notice he, when he comes and he attacks Job, he's limited. You, you cannot do certain things. You, I will not allow you to go. So I only will allow you to go so far and you can't cross that. And, and Satan's like, I can get Job to fall away from faith. I can get him to, to curse your name, um, through external means. And, and so there's this idea that comes along that, that one, you know, demon possession isn't a thing for those who believe. So, so we're not looking at possession, but oppression. Um, and certainly Job is oppressed. Certainly Job is, is there's a lot of external pressure from Satan in, in all these things surrounding him, even his own friends that harm him. But he's not all powerful. He doesn't know what Job is thinking. He doesn't control his voice when he gives the wonderful confession of, of, of I know that, that when I am dead, I will see my Lord with my own eyes. Um, and that his words would be inscribed because these are important, um, that he's going to see his Lord in the resurrection. Um, Satan doesn't control his confessions. Um, he doesn't control what his heart knows and what the Spirit has worked, even though he's oppressing him on the outside. And so that's, that's really what we see here um, throughout the Scriptures, is that when your soul is empty, when your spirit is empty, when, when there is no life in Christ, when... when there, it's an empty void, you will be controlled by something um, and it's easy for them to step in. But it's also, they cannot stand the gospel of Christ. They cannot stand the spirit. They cannot stand the work of the Lord. And when he comes, he casts them out. Um, that doesn't mean you can't be oppressed. You can't be harassed. You can't be um, externally affected. And we see that here in, in with Peter. There's this external effect. He's a roaring lion. He wants you to, to fall. He's going to try to everything he can to get you to fall. And so he will place temptations in your way. He will, he will use your friends and, and, and the sinful natures that he knows very well. And, and then maybe that's the other side point too. He does know your sinful nature very, very well. Um, he's been there since the fall. And so as he's witnessed mankind's sinful nature, you are not unique in your sinful nature. Um, your sinful nature is very, very, very much the same sinful nature that you inherited from your parents and they inherited from their parents and they have inherited all the way down the line. Um, sin is not unique. It's not new. There are not new sins coming up. They're just old sins getting worse. Um, and so he is very, very attuned to those and he knows what people have fallen to before and, and he can get you to fall to them again. Um, greed is not new. Um, licentiousness is not new. Um, Coveting is not new. Um, selling sex is not new. Um, you know, looking at the looking at the world through the lens that sin is not a new thing, 
and that Satan knows that doesn't give him more power, just allows him to have more in his bag of tricks, right? Um, and so he's very familiar with those things. So to answer the question, he is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. Only God can. He is not omniscient. He does not know what's in your heart. He does not know what's in your mind. But he does know the sinful nature very well. He has seen it. And your sinful nature isn't new. Um, and so he will be a prowling lion. He's going to look to devour you. And he will use everything he can to try to pull you away from Christ. And anxiety is one of them because anxiety looks at a, looks out at the world and says, I'm not good enough. And then I should be better and you're not better. And everything keeps crumbling down right in that anxiety. And he can use those things to pull you away. And so the Lord says, cast them all onto, onto God. He cares for you. He loves you. He'll carry it. You know, give your, your burden to Christ and take from him his yoke because it's, it's light and it's easy to bear. Um, and, and that's part of it. It's a very good question. Don't know if that answers it completely. Um, you know, we can ask, we can put it out there with the other brothers on Thursday, one of the questions, and we can definitely maybe uh, get you a better answer if, if that does not help. Looking at the text, um, you, the text can go in multiples of ways. Um, you could talk about, you know, what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to, to um, kind of look at some of the, the things that surround the text uh, where it comes with, with, what Peter is saying about the devil. I chose to go with, with the devil um, in the sense of talking about his power and his action because I, don't, I haven't really heard a sermon, at least in the, in the wells, that really talked about, you know, the devil is prowling around. He is causing trouble. Um, I know a lot of times we like to think the devil made me do it, and, and that's not a true statement. The devil can't make you do anything. Um, but he certainly can play to your sinful nature so that you do things that you shouldn't be doing. And, and I see that a lot. And I thought that that just a beautiful way to be able to bring that up in a sermon where, where we are in control of our bad selves because that's our sinful nature, but he doesn't, he likes to help it along. And, and there's a real spiritual battle in everything that we see and everything is not just as we see it on, on the face, but there's a, a spiritual battle deep down that's causing an issue. Um, and, and we're not prepared to fight it. And we can only be prepared to fight it in Christ and only have the ability to stand within it in Christ and be established enough and supported enough in Christ. And without Christ, we, we are not prepared. And so it was a fun sermon to preach. Uh, the law, of course, is, is to giving into temptation, um, falling to the, to, the devouring lion as he continues to to try to find ways to pull us away. Um, the gospel just is everywhere. Um, be humbled. That's the gospel. Be humbled. Recognize that's the use of the law in many ways, but it's also the use of grace that God would love us enough to give his son to die. Um, what a humbling thing. I can't do that. I can't do that for you and I can't do it for myself. Christ did that for me. Um, beautiful verse 7. Beautiful grace of the Lord in your anxiety, cast it on to Christ. He cares for you. How, how much more grace and how much more gospel can you get there? Um, the, of course, the very end of 10, right? Um, even though we have suffered, right? Uh, for a little while, God uh, of all grace, of his love, pointing to his love for you, called you in Christ. When Christ died for you, he has restored you, established, strengthened, supported. Uh, all of those things are gospel. Um, and so just a beautiful, beautiful turn of phrase is 
Peter is looking at the Roman church. They're suffering. The brotherhood, uh, the congregations, the churches all over the world are suffering. Um, and then by the Spirit, the Spirit comes and he, he says, these words are for you, dear listener, now in the 21st century as we are still suffering too. Bad things are happening. Uh, and I use in quotes, good people are suffering. Um, maybe you are one of them. Why? Well, because the devil is still active and there's a war going on and we're collateral damage in many ways. And so be supported and be strengthened, and be encouraged by Christ. If there's any questions, now would be the time to throw them up onto the, onto the chat. If you have any comments, I will try to read them. Um, otherwise, I, I think that that pretty much exhausts the text for me for today. Um, I invite you to join us on Thursday. Hopefully we'll have the full panel as we continue our look um, at the eight doctrines that divide the church. And so we'll be taking a look at the doctrine of justification. So uh, last week we took a look at the doctrine of original sin. And now we're going to be taking a look at the declaration that God places over us of not guilty. And we're going to explain what that means and why that is such a, a, a contentious thing between the denominations of Christendom uh, and even the denominations or the, the other religions out in the world today. We'll take a look at that here on Thursday. Then next week we will be gathering again for Beyond the Sermon. Uh, next week is, is starts the beginning of a very uh, wonderful and yet stressful time for pastors uh, because we also have the beginning of Lent. And so as we have an opportunity to start the Lenten season with the celebration of Ash Wednesday next Wednesday, that would be February 14th, um, we are going to have an opportunity to to kind of, as pastors, gather and do multiple sermons and, and walk with our people uh, as we, we go to the cross and we start focusing our attention heavily on the work of Christ in, in giving his life for us as he is the lamb who has taken away the sin of the world. So that'll be great. I hope to, to walk through the Lenten season with you uh, through Beyond the Sermon and have the other brothers there with us as well. Um, good. I'm glad I was able to help you, Cheryl. Um, if you have any other questions, please let us know, contact us either online here. So we'll watch the chats after the show is over. Um, and we'll try to contact maybe in the, in the chat notes. Um, you can also contact us through casting nets pod at gmail.com. Uh, you can come if you're in the area and you would like to come to church here at Maribel, or you can go to church over at, uh, um, Emmanuel and Shirley, um, any of the congregations that we're a part of, by all means, come and, and ask questions. We'll be happy to answer those for you. May God hurt you, bless you as you go about your day. And uh, may you always be supported and established, strengthened and restored in your Savior, Jesus Christ, who has done all things for you. He has undone the work of the devil as he goes to battle for us all. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>